I don't like the idea of lying to Tananish people any more than you do. But the next time the ghoul attack, we might not be so fortunate. We need whatever military advantages we can find. If that means trinium. Sir, I am all for getting the trinium, but there has to be an alternative. Is anyone at the Pentagon or along the chain of command remotely concerned about their aboriginal rights, repeating history, that annoyingly pesky moral stuff? That's enough, Colonel. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 13, Spirits. You'd have to go to a separate store to get this episode in Pennsylvania. Mmm. It's true. So our synopsis from TV God is almost as short as the synopsis for Bane. Okay. O'Neill and the SG-1 team encounter mysterious spirits while trying to mine a planet. I mean, nothing it says is wrong? Actually, no, because O'Neill and SG-1 never actually try to mine. So, no, it's wrong. Right. Uh, O'Neill was never even on the planet. Yeah. Okay, so it's wrong. It's, I mean, I guess, big picture, if the SGC was trying to do it, then SG-1 was trying to do it. So I know I said last week that I wasn't going to read the Stargate Wiki synopses anymore, but this one is actually fairly short, so I will read this one. So I lied last week. The Tauri have discovered Trinium, a super light yet super strong element that could prove useful. However, SG-11 is MIA on the planet on which Trinium is found and are captured by the planet's spirits. When the spirits attack the SGC, it now falls to Daniel to try and defuse the situation or risk the spirits destroying Earth. It falls to Daniel? Well, because Daniel talks to... To Kaya. That's it, yes. First, but then Jack kind of completes it. Yeah, Jack's the, the one they call their friend. Right, and then I was going to say, and then the... They never give themselves a name other than the spirits, so I guess we'll stick with that. But then, yes, and then the spirits are like... Our friend Tanane is wise. And so is our friend Jack. So he is. Mm, yes. Which, actually, I was thinking throughout most of this episode, uh, certainly from like the, the halfway point on when Hammond was, this is the official stance of the Pentagon, and therefore my official stance, which felt very un-Hammond-like. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But Jack was being surprisingly prescient and progressive about the whole scenario of maybe we shouldn't exploit these people and strip mine their planet. Mm -hmm. against their wishes and behind their back? Yep. So to cross the streams, there are some definite parallels with this episode and an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that we watched when we were first starting our Delta Flyer podcast. I, I suppose. 
I mean, obviously not entirely, but there are parallels between this and uh, the TNG episode Journey's End. Yeah. Obviously, we've got a planet of Native Americans, and good call on Stargate for calling them Native Americans, because Star Trek didn't do that. Yeah, no, Star Trek called them Indians. (laughs) Yes. We also are trying to do something against their will, and the higher-ups are telling us that we must do it again we must do this and our heroes are less than enthused about that okay i mean yeah like broad stroke they do both include aliens masquerading as um i mean in the case of journey's end yes mm-hmm. yes in the case of journey's end it was the traveler masquerading as just just a guy, you know? Yeah. Whereas in this case it's them you know, pretending or disguising themselves as the tribal spirits. Yeah, I wasn't counting that as one of the parallels. I was yeah. more talking about the planet of Native Americans and the the you mm-hmm. know, plans to do things with them. So because of our talk on our other podcast, Delta Flyer. Mm-hmm where we had discovered that evidently they had brought in a fake Native American. They didn't realize that it was a fake Native American as a consultant on a lot of things. Uh, So I decided to do some digging into what this episode was bringing up. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything about the Central Coast Salish, but there were the Coastal Salish. Uh, and in fact, still are. Apparently, as of the mid-2000s, there were something like 56, yes, 60,000. And they're in the Pacific Northwest, so it makes sense that they would use them for this episode. Yes, but there were also the interior Salish, who were closer to Montana and British Columbia, which, when Daniel says, your ancestors came from not far from here, would have been slightly more accurate, I guess? I mean, same continent. Yeah. Um... Evidently, they're not crazy about being identified as the Salish. Mm. The Salish is a catch-all term that applies to a couple of dozen different tribes that all came up in that area and spoke like a loosely similar language, best as I could tell from my sort of brief during-the-episode <laughs> research. Okay, so it's like the Sioux, then, where it's actually a bunch of different tribes that don't really want to be called the Sioux. Right, because calling them all the Salish implies a nationhood that they feel never truly existed. Yeah. And they would much rather be referred to as their discrete uh, discreet tribes. That makes sense. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Uh, best as I could tell, the dress... The you know the clothes that they were wearing were was more or less correct based on some again brief research. Uh, the hats in particular looked correct based on what appeared to be uh, photos taken in the early twentieth late nineteenth century. Cool. The colors red and black apparently feature heavily in Salish culture, and I'm just going to call it Salish culture. I realize that that's having just I know <laughs> I, I yes. I understand the words that came out of my mouth. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? However, since, like I said, it was composed of dozens of individual tribes, and in this episode they are referred to as the Salish, that's the term I'm going to be using as well. Okay. Uh, 
yeah, no, apparently red and black feature heavily in like, their iconography, in, in their uh, in their art and clothing, and that also squares with what uh, Tonane was wearing, as well as his elders. Uh, in terms of architecture, I couldn't find anything out, but it does certainly seem like some amount of effort was put in by the production staff to yes. not be huge dicks to this people's history. Yeah. I yeah, I definitely prefer the way Stargate treated the Native Americans to the way Star Trek has done. Yes. And I actually I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Um so confession, I usually skip this episode. Uh and I watched it this time and I'm not sure why. Oh, you're not sure why you skipped it. Yes. But to say it's like be you because... you watched it because we have this podcast? Oh, is that why? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure why I skip it. I think because I usually am not a fan of Native American spiritual episodes in shows, but no, mm-hmm. this, one, this one's decent. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was handled uh, about as well as could be expected. Uh, I liked the character of Tanane. He was mm-hmm. fun. Yes. So we we have talked before about how there's the fallacy that. Uh, Obviously, the only air that the only the area around the gate would be the important thing, and there wouldn't be anything interesting outside of the UAV's range. Yeah, I picked up on that on that uh, bit too. Yeah, so it was nice yeah. to see that come home to roost. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like they didn't go that far before they found that totem pole. Uh, no, no, they really didn't. So bad job, SG Eleven, which apparently has like seven or eight members. Well, they may have had extra people because they were mining. Okay. But, yeah, really bad job because, as we find out later, Tanane walks up to them, tells them to stop, and they're like, eh, let's wait until we blow up the mountain some more, and then we'll talk. But that is... Oh, what's the... What's that guy's name? Captain Connors. Mm -hmm. That... But that is fake Connors. I don't think he would have made... I don't... I f- it seems... Yeah. Weird. Yeah, it would seem weird for the Spurs yeah. to make up that story. Yeah. It's... It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, based on Tonani's reaction, it certainly seemed like he at least had interacted with Captain Connors. Right. So, whenever that happened... I mean, for all we knew, for all we know, it happened the morning that they then disappeared, and mm-hmm. up until that point, they had not yet right. encountered anybody but, but you're st- not wrong they were awfully close to that uh and and i and i appreciated that carter was like like carter's reaction when captain connor told told her that that they had basically just brushed him off mm-hmm. right and, and then like like basically her very next thing was to tonane tonane perhaps you and i could have that conversation that captain connor should have had with you earlier yeah and then tried to negotiate so, with uh, with yeah. the elders, and later when they're talking about the NID's plan to sneak in and steal the tritium, uh, wait, was that did did they call that out as the NID? Yes, they did. We okay, okay, we definitely did have an NID name drop. This episode. <laughs> they're so sneaky. Uh, uh, I realized that it was supposed to make us, the viewer, annoyed and angry. Mm-hmm. It worked. Because it was definitely yeah. pissing me off, and uh, yeah. it seemed 
out of character, and I was v- disappointed that Hammond was so willing to go along with that. Yes. I, I echo those thoughts. So, the very beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. they're talking about the trinium. Yep. And we get this, it's a hundred times lighter and stronger than steel. And this is one of those things that's like really hard to quantify, and I get kind of annoyed when I hear it. You know, it, it's like, I mean, there are certain, like, a hundred times stronger than steel, okay. A hundred times lighter than steel, okay. But both? Does that mean that, like, like, like what? That like a like a one kilogram bar of this. So let's say if like a one kilogram bar of steel can support a kilogram of of force being applied to it, or can like can like resist that, or mm-hmm. like however you want to put it, you know? Can this then therefore like can a one kilogram bar of trinium withstand ten thousand kilograms of force if it's a hundred times lighter and a hundred times stronger? Like, is that what that means? I don't. Like, well, no, because one kilogram would be well, yeah. Because one, if it's a hundred times lighter, one kilogram of this would be enormous, right? To to say that it's a hundred times lighter than steel usually means that for the same strength, it is a hundred times lighter, and the, the strength one is easy to square as well. For the same mass, it well, can withstand a hundred times the force. Well, no, wouldn't light be for the same? It would be not for the same strength. Hundred times lighter would yes. just mean a bar of a bar of trinium and a bar of of iron or not, of not, equal volume. Steel, of equal volume, the trinium would be light, would be a hundred times lighter. Yeah. Okay. Usually, like when you're talking about something being like when they're comparing it that way, I had always sort of figured that they were also saying for the same strength. But I suppose that volumetric is a is a better way of describing it. Yeah, like, like e- equal size bars of the material of the two materials, the trinium would be a hundred times lighter. And I'm and I and I took it to mean that's the same thing for the strength. An equal size bar of trinium could hold a hundred times more than an equal, than steel. Right. But I'm saying if you combine those two things, mm, sure, and increase the size of the bar such that it weighs the same as the steel bar. Then yes, it would be it would hold a lot of weight. Allegedly, yes. I have trouble with the concept that it's that strong, but it in its raw form, there's still enough there that they can get something out of it. But Teal can break it with his bare hands. Uh, I only know a very, very, very little bit about metallurgy. That's fair. I am not a metallurgist. Right, but what I do know is that refining heating cool like heating tempering reheating will all alter the crystalline structure of the metal mm. thereby changing certain attributes about it okay yeah i guess you're right so it's not completely far-fetched that it you know it, it goes from like a brittle raw form to after proper apparently difficult processing mm. when the spirits don't do it uh, to then become awesome. And for all we know, like that big, like fist sized rock that Teal crushed, you know, basically only produces a piece of trinium the size of a paperclip or something of, you know, like usable, fair. worthwhile trinium because it, maybe it gets like compressed down and significantly denser or something. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. 
So I do want to talk about the arrow. Message for you, sir. Talk about the arrow. And its relation to the Stargate and all that. So the Stargate activates. And before it finishes dialing, not Walter <laughs> says SG-11 is returning. Is Walter in season two at all? Yes, I feel like Walter, we've seen Walter in season two, surely. Have we? I have think we? so. I think we have. I'm starting to wonder if Walter ever existed. <laughs> Walter is in just a, a figment of our ima- collective imaginations. Yeah, Jaffa do not believe in Ghost, Unos, or Walters. <laughs> but, and then the gate stays open, and then the, the arrow comes in. So, yes. couple problems here. One, how could they possibly know it was SG-11 before the gate? The, the wormhole mm-hmm, Before the wormhole, yes. Two, did the spirits use the GDO? Yes. Okay. And, well, three was, if the spirits didn't use the GDO, why is the iris not open? But I suppose the spirits may have used the GDO? What does GDO stand for again? I have no idea. Did we ever know? Well, don't don't they say IDC? Yeah, but GDO is the tool that sends... The GDO sends the IDC. Yes. To the SGC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> OMG. Yes. GDO stands for Garage Door Opener. Is this according to the Stargate wiki? Yes. Yeah, you know what? I mean, they simply call it the dial home device, so... Yeah. I can get behind that. I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't cite its source, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Oh, so also, back to my Salish research. Mm-hmm. Shape-shifting is a part of their cultural beliefs. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much that factored into them deciding to say that these are apparently Salish Native Americans rather than any other tribe or, you know, collection, but yeah. I think that may just be a happy coincidence. Zales, however, best as I could tell, doesn't exist outside of Stargate. Okay. I did not look up uh, Takaya. Once I saw that Zales didn't exist out of Stargate, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to bother. I mean, they totally do. People buy diamond rings there. No, no, no. Different, different spelling altogether. I know, but come on. Yeah. Oh, so, so we're getting, we're, you know, bouncing around a little bit. But Whatever. This episode originally aired October 23rd, 1998. Yes, it did. It was written by Tor Alexander Valenza. That's a cool name. <laughs> it is a cool name. He has written, this was the first episode he wrote. He then would continue to write a few more episodes uh, one more in season two and a bunch in season three. <laughs> this is directed by Martin Wood, whose mm-hmm. name you probably will recognize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has been a Stargate director starting in season one, goes all the way through SG-1 and the first four seasons of Atlantis. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy has, you know, ha- has his fingerprints all over Stargate. Yes. So the only thing he hasn't worked on, he did not work on Universe. And or origins, yeah. I mean, universe is the one that's it's a little more surprising because obviously it was a lot of the same production house from SG one through or through universe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the foreign language names for this are pretty boring. Most of them are just spirits or ghosts. Mm-hmm. The Italian one is the spirits planet, so you know that's cool. Yeah, it's cooler in Italian. So that gets me thinking about something that Takaya said 
Uh-huh. She had said that when they expelled the Gould from their planet millennia ago, uh-huh. you know, they then like at this point, Tonani's people were already on the planet. Uh-huh. Okay, so the spirits were apparently already on the planet. Tonani's people were already on the planet, and the the Gould overlords yeah. were on the planet. Like it was a busy planet. What? So my suspicion is that Tanani's not Tanani, the spirits were yeah. native to that planet. Yeah, no, no, I'm duh. And the gold brought Tanani's people there to hunt to mine the trinium and I guess the spirits were didn't make themselves known until after they were already mining, much like they did with the SGC. Okay. Okay. No, I can I can get behind that. I just based on how they how she had said it, it made me think that it had been a while of the Gould ruling it the planet. Did. Yeah, so that's a little weird. But then also, she like if Tonana's people were brought there to mine the Trinium, mm-hmm. which I can totally believe, because the Gould are evil and bad people, mm-hmm. obviously, which is why we need to you know get rid of them. Yeah. They never came back to the planet? That was weird. What did the spirits do to the Gould to prevent them from ever coming back to the planet for a thousand years, but then they were, like, cool did... with SG-11 popping in? Why did the spirits never think to bury the Stargate? Yeah, they have no use of star travel, even though that's not what the Stargate does. Technically speaking, no, it is not. Right. So, how do they travel? Do they just, like, do the hand thing and poof on another planet? But they had to use the Stargate to get back. Yeah, so maybe they just maybe they just feel like we're completely like we're semi magic crazy beings who I guess live forever. Maybe I have so many questions about the spirits, and we're never going to see them ever again. I'm pretty sure we will not. And like, okay, two examples back to back. One, we saw Doc Warner again. Yes, that was we interesting. Did. And he hit the alarm again. Man, he loves that alarm. <laughs> so when he gets zatted, he falls face forward. And then when it kind of, like, you know, blah, 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 reveals Zales, he's face up. I did not notice that. The same thing in the next scene when it's Hammond and Takaya in wolf form. Mm-hmm. When Hammond disappears, the people coming at him. He doesn't turn around. He's still facing down the hallway. We have a camera shot of the back of his head that then, like, blah, 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 into the spirit. Do they walk backwards the whole time? Like, why? What is this? Maybe they can turn without turning. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, sure, that's probably what it is. That it's like, well, I'm done with this form. I'll just do this now. But it, it's very strange. Yeah. And I would have thought it would would have been like a semi mistake the first time around, but then since it happened again fifteen seconds later, with another, it it made me think that this is clearly on purpose, but I don't know why. Yeah, I completely missed that. But there is one other thing I want to touch on that's completely unrelated to what you were talking about. Uh huh. When they're on the planet and they wake up after being sedated. Yes. And they're talking to Tanane for the first time. And yeah. He says, oh, they're with the spirits. And Daniel asks, are they, you mean dead? He's like, no, with the spirits. And then 
because Sam's the leader, and it feels weird. Sam has the the line that obviously feels like a Jack line. Oh, with the spirits. And it just feels weird for that to come out of Sam. Yeah. I wonder why Richard Dean Anderson was not, like, bigger in this. I like There must have been a reason. Uh, yeah, because he was in the latter half of the episode, but there had to have been a reason why he couldn't... I don't know how far the studio was from the... Yeah, and I wonder if that line was probably a originally written for jack actually yeah so maybe it was like a last minute change yeah there's no production information from the wiki so i i don't know but yeah it it, there was probably some sort of conflict that uh richard dean anderson wasn't available for filming for some of this episode right yeah i hadn't even considered that the line was probably actually written for jack which is why it felt like a jack line that sequence right there though it's a common trope in a lot of sci-fi shows, I simply don't watch all that many fantasy mm-hmm. shows, uh, for them to knowingly exist in a sci-fi universe. And especially in the case of Stargate, where mm-hmm. two or three years prior to this, or just leave the base and go you know, into downtown... Colorado Springs? Uh, you know, like just leave the mountain go to downtown colorado springs and poof you're in the normal non-sci-fi world like like especially in the case of stargate where they know what the world was like before the stargate and aliens and hyperdrives entered their lives two years ago for them to then be like oh yeah sure the spirits (laughs) yeah and then i i really didn't like when Daniel and Teal'c were like, "Do you hear that? He's saying, let them go." Well, I I was I was on that page as well. However, mm-hmm. then Tonani says, "I thought I heard him say he would think about it, and then he would get back to us." And then they stuck to their guns. Like Sam was clearly clearly didn't necessarily hear anything. Although it didn't sound like anything to her. Right. Uh, I mean, she, like, agreed with Tonane, whereas she did not agree with Daniel. Like, Teal immediately jumped to agreeing with Daniel. Yes. I, honest to God, feel like maybe they did hear something. Like, the characters, obviously. I mean, all I heard was a bird call. Uh, see, it, it felt to me like Daniel was trying to manipulate. It felt like that to me as well. And then, like, when Teal immediately jumps on board, same deal. But then, when Tonane jumps in to say... Hmm... Like, are you sure that's what you heard? I heard similar but different. Like, it wasn't like he came in and he said, are you sure that's what you what you heard? That's weird. I heard I'm going to go to the grocery store, not I'm going to let your friends go. It wasn't a completely different statement. It was just a modified version of what Daniel had said. Hmm. So there were a lot of moments from this episode that were excellent SG-1 team moments. Yeah. I liked when they were in the infirmary with Jack. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, and it was, you know, Captain Carter, you'll be leading SG-1 on this mission. And ju- just before that, uh, yeah, you'll be leading SG-1 on this mission, so you'll need to establish relations with the indigenous people. Obviously, we've started our relations on the wrong foot. But that's so rare, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Hammond clearly fighting back a smile. Yeah. And it's definitely, and, and that's just, like, excellent acting on Donna Davis's part because then like the next line 
My superiors have ordered me to remind you to be diplomatic. Yes, sir. Just as I would be. Like his face is, and the, like, they all give each other looks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Hammond's face is just, you know, it is carved from stone. So, excellent work from Donna Davis. I liked uh, O'Neill's uh, aliens are always poking holes in me. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I also liked when it was, uh, when Daniel comes in with Tonane, and he's like, are you, you? Yeah. You? What? <laughs> oh, and, and, and later when he's like, how do I know it's you? Well, because. He's like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if Jack is now their friend and not just a person they're willing to not kill. Right. That the possibility of negotiating for Trinium wasn't completely off the table. Uh, yeah, because especially if the spirits have a way of just magicking it out of the mountain, just because... You know, the you know the existing relationship between Tonani's people and the spirits is that it's like, hey, we really need some more so we can make hats, and then like poof, I guess in fibrous form or just a hat shows up in the river or something. But I mean, that's not to say. I mean, for all we know, like the big mountain on the planet is eighty five percent trinium. It's just right. like a solid trinium core, and no matter how much the humans ask for, outside of saying we would like to replace literally everything on our planet with trinium, how's that work for you? Um, you know, like unless the humans start asking for that, then there's little reason to think that the spirits couldn't come to some sort of agreement with them to say, okay, we'll hook you up with trinium body armor right like i i look at it sort of like the vibranium in wakanda yeah like they have a lot of it in that mountain yes they apparently have like i i don't understand how they have so much i i've been wondering that too the, the fact that they've been mining it for thousands of years and they still have yeah. so much right yeah because yeah, i feel like because it came from a meteor big meteor but if but it could have been too big because it didn't kill the dinosaurs yeah, I don't know. There's there's definitely some some questions to that. Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of logical fallacies in that superhero movie. Mm, yes, there are. Anyway, I still don't fully understand how the suit could possibly work from the necklace. Nanotechnology. I guess. So, Carter does a couple of things that are weird. Okay. First, she picks up the clearly empty, clearly burned to the bottom coffee pot mm. and smells it and then says "Ooh, gross it's boiled away also would it have that much smell at all if it had been completely burned dry maybe it had still been on mm, maybe maybe and then later she just like taps on the metal bit on the totem she's like yep that's trinium yeah there was that was interesting too because that proves that it's hard but she didn't check how light it was uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe it makes a very distinctive noise. And how in the world could she tell it was, the the building was made from fibrous trinium? Well, fibrous trinium would probably be pretty easy to tell, because it would look like fibers. But how would she know those fibers were made from trinium? Because she scratched them with her knife or something, and I bet her, and then maybe nothing happened. I mean, we don't get like a close-up of it anyway. But she scratched it with her, with her knife, and no scratches appeared. Perhaps. What number is trinium on the Mohs hardness scale? Eleven. 
I think conundrum is corundum. Really, yeah, it's like really low. No, cor- corundum is number nine. Oh, that's right. Uh, gypsum is one of the really low ones. Yeah, gypsum, talc. Yeah. Yeah, that's all pretty low stuff. Graphite. Sure. Yeah. We're not going to name anymore. The fascinating thing on graphite is that it the carbon atoms, depending on how they're arranged, can be either one of the one of the lowest scoring minerals or and one of the highest scoring minerals. Boy, it's weird how the raw trinium you can just crush it in your hand. Okay, yeah. All right. Oh, I love it when it pays off in the same episode. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the best when you walk yourself there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) All right. Well, how about you you keep on walking and, and, uh, and walk us out of this episode? All right. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode, or all of our episodes, really, which, why wouldn't you? Uh, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find or review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, StargateWeekly, at gmail.com. Much like Marcus Neville, again, who has decided that he needed to set us straight, again, he's not wrong, about ghoul gender and reproduction and how they're not like bees. Yes, thank you, Marcus. Uh, we definitely did need this additional explanation. We also appreciate that you decided to kind of cook up your own canonical explanation for gold reproduction. So that uh, that's pretty great. Uh, definitely putting more work into it than we did. But I suppose this is like, you know, your field. Yes, I really appreciated that. I liked how you gave up, you explained to us exactly how bees reproduce. Spoiler alert. Queens on their own lay eggs that are all males, and then the males fertilize the queen to lay females, which feels like where did the males get the female part to do it, but whatever. Bees are weird, man. And gold are similar, but not quite. Well, he he makes it very clear that gold are not like bees. Yes. But... I think we've gone on long enough thanking him for his feedback. Continue. Uh, we appreciate you listening to the show. We hope you continue to do so. Um, with his permission, we have republished, reposted, words are hard, everything that he sent to us onto our Facebook page. And you can review it there to get every juicy, gross, you know, bee mating ritual detail that uh, that we have left out. Yes, it definitely gave us exactly what we needed to know and explained in relatively simple language that we can understand how bees reproduce and how gold presumably reproduce. But you can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. Yeah.